Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, we'll be chatting about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and what that means for the overall tech ecosystem. We've got a great guest to talk about that. We've also got a bunch of new AI news. It feels like every week there's more AI news. And can you believe there's another there's another GPT version already Wow! this week? GPT-4 is here. So we'll be diving into all of that. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. You can also catch us on our live stream, typically uh, Thursday mornings around 10.30 a.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. Uh, come join us. It's a fun time. We'll do Q&As, and sometimes we show off gadgets. So we don't typically talk about banks, especially something like Silicon mm. Valley Bank here on the Engadget podcast. But uh, there was a lot of news this weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've if you've seen a headline. Um, it basically progressed from being like, oh, this bank is in trouble to, oh, my God, this bank has collapsed to uh, please save us, say all the VCs. And by Sunday, the federal government was like, don't worry, all deposits are fine. You, you will all be fine. Uh, there was a lot that happened over the span of a couple days. And joining us to talk about all that is Alex Wilhelm, editor-in-chief at TechCrunch Plus and co-host of the Equity Podcast. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. I, I feel like I've been in a bit of a hurricane, center of it, uh, for the last week. So I'm kind of like recovering yeah. in a You're way. You're like, um, you know, there's somebody with a flashlight on their head just guiding us all through this hurricane because I feel like you of all people can help make sense of what the heck happened here um so can you can you just like sketch out real quick like so what is silicon valley bank and what happened last week that uh basically set everybody's hair on fire yeah so silicon valley bank is aptly named it is a bank in silicon valley and it's not just named for its geographic location but also for its client base and so silicon valley bank was the bank of choice for a great number of venture capitalists and a bunch of startups so a lot of the companies you read about that are building kind of the new tech and the new gadgets that TechCrunch and Gadget cover had their accounts there And there was a a very kind of positive relationship between investors and startups and the bank itself because VCs would invest in startups, startups would bank at Silicon Valley Bank. And because all the money was there, SVB was kind of loaning money to startups uh, in ways that other banks really wouldn't because a lot of software companies don't have assets. And so Silicon Valley Bank was kind of a tech forward place to put your money. And uh, it was critical. And a lot of startups don't make revenue, right? They're not making money, right? So you need a bank that's be like, okay, I got you until you, you become a unicorn or something, right? Well, and until you're, you know, sufficiently large that other banks might might let you kind of borrow from them, or you can issue bonds or raise more money, whatever. But it was a very important kind of organ in the uh, the startup ecosystem. And then last Wednesday, after trading, it kind of closed. Silicon Valley Bank announced a number of financial moves. They were going to issue some stock, take a hit on some investments, and essentially Thursday morning things looked rough. And stocks, the stock price down was down like twenty percent, twenty five percent. And so I looked into this and then missed the point entirely. I, was I like, saw, oh. I saw you tweeting about this. I mean, like, hey, what's going on here? This yeah, seems, uh, this seems weird. Yeah, you know, over your morning coffee, suddenly financial contagion. You know, that's what you do. Um, on Thursday, this went from what the hell is going on to everyone freaking out. And then Silicon Valley Bank got on a Zoom with all its venture capital customers and said, hey, everything's fine. Don't worry. There's no problem. And then the crisis precipitated by uh-huh. everyone pulling their money out of the bank. And why why does Bank- saying there is no problem make everybody be like, oh, my God, there is a problem? Well, I think the yeah. issue was that the problem had been building for a very long time and people hadn't noticed. And um, I know this is the Engadget crew, so I don't want to get too deep into the financials. But essentially, as we probably all know, in the last couple of years, startups raised a bunch of money. They put that money into their accounts at Silicon Valley Bank. And until rates went up, 
that money didn't actually have any yield. And so Silicon Valley Bank invested that money into long-term assets. Then interest rates went up, the value of bonds went down, and suddenly Silicon Valley Bank was sitting on a lot of unrealized losses, losses that hadn't actually occurred yet, but everyone could see kind of coming. And so they tried to shake that up with their financial moves, and then everyone realized the state of the bank, and then they yanked $42 billion out of it in a 24- or 36-hour period, and suddenly it was insolvent. This seems like a problem. One thing I want to make clear here is, did Silicon Valley Bank actually do anything wrong. I feel like they put a lot of money into long-term bonds. Everyone says bonds are safe. My parents say bonds are safe. Um, And why, like, why was this a problem? Was it because the interest rates just made it a bad investment over time? It made it a bad investment relatively quickly, and the bank moved very late to correct its overall position. And so there's been discussions about how some investors, some venture capitalists back in November were saying, hey, this looks like a problem. That's because they were looking at the scale of unrealized losses at Silicon Valley Bank that only increased Mm -hmm. as rates kept going up. And so Silicon Valley Bank kind of acted a little bit late. It had a poor communication strategy and essentially lost trust. And if you're a bank in a fractional reserve banking system, which is what America has, Uh, Trust is, you know, kind of more valuable than gold. And so when they went on this call to tell people, don't panic. I mean, if you're on a boat and there's water coming into the windows and the captain says, everything's fine. You go straight for the lifeboat. (laughs) That that totally makes sense. Sherlyn, do you have any questions like as we are diving into this topic? I mean, immediately it's like, what kind of experience do the people who are running SVB have? Like what a history, what is their, what is their origin here? uh, Alex, do you know? Well, Interestingly enough, there's uh, there's been some notes that have come out about who wasn't there. Apparently, they didn't have a chief risk officer for quite a lot of last year and didn't really tell anybody. And uh, you would think risk, right? At a bank, Sherwin, yeah, you kind of want to have that. Um, but there's there, there's there's a question of experience and decision making, but also there's a question of regulation. Um, after the 2008 crisis, which us millennials, zillennials, and Gen Xers uh, all recall as a great part of our career progression. Yeah, we, um, we really grew into that, didn't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what our fourth financial crisis, something like that. Yeah, brutal. Uh, but anyways, uh, we put a lot of rules on banks so this stuff wouldn't happen. And then in the Trump administration, a lot of that was rolled back. And so banks like Silicon Valley Bank that are not the biggest institutions actually had less regulatory oversight. And so they could get a little bit more sideways before anyone noticed. So like mid-sized banks, right? Like uh, it depends on the amount of assets. They're not small local banks, but did they? I remember hearing stories that Silicon Valley Bank kind of was a smaller bank for a while, and then they also kind of blew up as everybody was getting funding over the last few years too, right? Like that must be yeah. part of it. Yeah. I mean, venture capital fundraising, like VCs raising money for themselves, went up dramatically. The pace of money going into startups went up dramatically, and so suddenly their deposit base expanded greatly. And ironically, I was actually prepping for this this morning. Um, if I understand it correctly, they would have been under stricter regulatory oversight starting this year because they reached the sufficient size. But the problem is they weren't last year when this was all kind of kicking off. Um, it's, It's a hot mess. And there could have been leadership. There could have been leadership in the VC community to say, look, we know this is not good, but let's all be calm. For sure. Leave our money where it is. Don't break the bank. Help them through this crisis. What what did the top VCs do, Alex? What did Peter Thiel do? Well, it appears, and we're still sorting this out exactly. Uh, There's a lot of reporting still going on about who was first and who got their money out and so forth. But they were like, hey, portfolio companies, maybe you don't want to keep your money at this bank that we think is in trouble. So everyone, essentially, they did a DDoS attack on the bank deposits, right? Right. And um, very quickly, it precipitated into a crisis. And then, as you said, over the last weekend, um, as everyone you know, cried tears over you know, suddenly possibly losing some of their money, uh, the government stepped in and said, whoa, 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 calm down. We're going to backstop these deposits and everything's going to be OK. And de- depending on your politics, you have a perspective on that. I'm not going to get into FDIC insurance and so forth. But okay. uh, essentially, the government was like, we're not going to let this spread. And mostly that's worked. Okay. It it does seem, it did seem hilarious to see people like, like Peter, I don't know if Peter Till was very vocal, but Jason Calacanis was certainly vocal on Twitter with his all caps shouting about this. And also a lot of other VCs saying, you cannot let this bank fail. Please save us. Um, this is the industry big on libertarianism, big on, we'll take care of ourselves. You, you, you know, we are the gods among the society and you government are just like old stodgy like, yeah, useless people. We don't need you anymore. Turns out they really did need government regulation and government support here, right? You're pointing to a, a very important, I think, PR issue 
for these companies. Because, you know, if you think about the last 10 years, what have we heard from startups in Silicon Valley? Well, that they're the future, that they're changing things, that the government's too slow, et cetera, et cetera. And then suddenly they end up upside down on fire in the ditch and they go run into the government. Now, you could argue that it is a key function of government to take care of the banking industry yeah. and kind of make sure that it works. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Valid. But it's also true that uh, you can create a PR issue for yourself. And I think one problem that we have is that, Devendra, you just brought up Peter Thiel and Jason Calacanis. And I, and I, I know mm -hmm, Jason. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of like Jason. Um, he's a he's, great media character, but He's yeah. charming in person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the VCs that I talk to, the founders that I talk to, mostly are not the ones that you hear about in the news. They're just really smart, nice folks. And so I, I think what VC should do to correct this, uh, this issue they have is maybe swap out the voices a little bit. You know, bring on Elliot from Bessemer, right? A, a lovely person. Or just someone who's not the same four guys from the All In podcast. Yeah, maybe don't let the All In podcast lead the, lead the conversation. How about yeah. that? Yeah. And, you know, that's on the VC community. Uh, I will say that I, I don't have a lot of patience for libertarians who, who, when they have an issue after mocking other people's bailouts and financial assistance, demand help for themselves now and then complain that the government isn't moving fast enough when they fix the problem over a weekend. That's pretty it's kind of wasn't I agree and with that. I also read that SVB was ba basically big on pushing against uh, keeping those regulations right in 2018. Like part of the reason they were the ones that helped get rid of the regulations that got them in so much trouble. Yep. Okay. It's. I, I mean, this is Love why. Uh, okay. W would you let your kids grade their own homework? <laughs> no, you would not do that. That's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this is an example uh, of hubris which is a very human thing. Like, I mean, let's be clear. That's just straight up humanity. But the reason we have regulation is to combat our base instincts as people so that way we can't end up in situations like this. And I'm peevish that um, uh, the three of us, be it, we have checking accounts, I presume. And so we, we are part of banks that pay into FDIC insurance, which is what's kind of backstopping all of this. So it's, it's a bailout kind of, bailout mm -hmm. light, bailout adjacent financial move, whatever you want. <laughs> but it, it, it's irksome to me that folks say, not for me, and then demand please please save me yeah it's a sort of a reminder of when like a, you know maybe teenagers are very much like i'm independent i know my life don't don't tell me what to do dad um hey dad i crashed my car into <laughs> please is so, your AAA membership still active can you i've actually had yeah. to have that conversation yeah. with my parents yeah. I, I woke them up one night because yeah. i had slid I my car yeah. <laughs> At two miles an hour, because it, it was icy, and I uh -huh. just just went into the ditch, and I had to walk home in the snow, and I had to wake them up and tell them, "Hey, my car's in a ditch." I <laughs> um, yeah, that good. that is part of growing up, right? Um, I'm I'm interested in that backstop too, Alex. Like, is this? They said, like, I remember reading the announcement. They said it, this did not involve taxpayer money to basically make the depositors whole. So, where is that money actually coming from? So we all pay into the uh, the deposit insurance fund. I forget the technical name for this. That's part of the FDIC, which is an independent agency of the federal government. So it's not taxpayer money. Like your yep. federal income tax is not going to this, but your participation in the banking industry is. And and that's where it gets kind of nuancy. So folks that um, want to preserve their kind of libertarian creds are saying, this is not a bailout. Politicians that don't want to say, uh -huh. we bailed out rich people are saying, this is not a bailout. Right. Right, right. But it's kind of a bailout. It, it, this is one of those war trash tests for like how you want to think about it. And so there's not going to be a single kind of clear answer that everyone's going to agree on. Um, but it is money that wasn't theirs that is going to help them. So to me, and given that the money comes from an element of the government, of which is kind of, it's our elected body, to me, it feels, you know, bailout-ish. Kind of, kind of, just a bit. Um, to be clear, I believe the investors, right? The people... Um, making money from SVB are not being bailed out, right? Like they they are kind of taking this hit. As, yeah. So if you own stock in SVB, mm -hmm. oops, oops. I mean, which 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 is fair, right? I mean, it's an investment. There should be risk in there. The question is, if uh, FDIC insurance. So like you know, Sherlin, your checking account has insurance of up to two hundred fifty k, right? Uh, I don't think I don't know if you float that much cash in your checking account. <laughs> I don't. Uh, so you and not I never have to much. think about this. Just just yeah. a bit shy of that. Just, yeah. just a bit. 245,000, 246,000. Exactly, yep. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, 
Uh, but we're always told that that's where insurance stops. So people often have multiple accounts if they have excess cash uh, to protect themselves. And so suddenly, if we're going to say in a moment of a crisis, that cap doesn't exist and it's actually unlimited, then there isn't really a cap. And then no one's going to behave as if there is a cap. And so there's, there's a moral hazard risk, this, uh, this favorite talking point of conservatives who want to not give you know, school lunches to children uh, for bankers in this case, and about how they're going to act when they realize that all they have to do is make a big enough mess and someone else will clean it up for them. Yep. Got, gotta love it. Where, where was the federal reserve in all this? Because, uh, I feel like maybe, <laughs> maybe they should be keeping an eye. Uh, maybe, um, maybe the CEO of Silicon Valley bank shouldn't be a part of the San Francisco federal reserve too. Right. Uh, I actually don't know if he was, okay. if, that might be news to me, yep. but the, the fed has regional banks yep. that have, I read and he was I, on the board, which to me seems ridiculous. But yeah, I, I've I've known people on these boards, and they they tend to be people who are active in the business world. And and the, I think the the idea there is you want to have folks who have, have the pulse of the economy and what's going on to provide insight and input. It is very embarrassing in this case when it turns out that the fox is in the hen house and was actually the hen the whole time. Yeah. You know, the, the hen has uh, gone rabid and is now eating the faces of it. I don't actually yeah. know if that analogy works, but I it didn't. felt really fun to say. Sure, so I just kind sure. of wanted to go circular on that. I have been watching a lot of farming <laughs> television lately. You know, um, uh, let's let's go to simpler lives. There is a great YouTube channel about like, I think uh, a couple in like somewhere in Central Europe that is just like, I'm going to spend 20 minutes making uh, baklava. And I watch you every step of making baklava. It's amazing. It's great. So Alex, where, where are we now? Uh, Silicon Valley Bank has failed. The depositors are fine. But also Signature Bank in New York also was, was kind of like a, uh, a victim as well, like as part of all this. And that was more of a crypto bank. Can you give us like a quick rundown of what happened there? Uh, it's, well, I mean, I think the answer is no one's entirely sure. It was taken over by the government uh, due to systemic risks, essentially. And there's conspiracy theories rampant that this is just a way for the government to clamp down on crypto and to, you know. Rah. Yeah, because crypto um, has done nothing wrong recently. No, not a single time. Um, ICOs, totally legal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's not the first crypto bank to be taken over. If you recall, there was um, there was Signature and also Silvergate. And so this is the second time we've seen this. My my guess, and this is just my current hunch, uh, I've been pretty wrapped up in just straight Silicon Valley land, is that it made some more exotic moves and ended up upside down by accident. And it's a smaller failure. It's still a large failure in historic terms. Um, but I think it matters the most just because it was a crypto on-ramp for normal money to kind of make its way into the world of decentralized monies. And so to lose kind of both of those well-known on-ramps in the same time period is brutal for crypto. It could limit inflows, which could harm asset prices and so forth. Um, so your NFTs might not have as much juice in them, essentially. Um, but in terms of what the market is talking about, in terms of what uh, the traditional finance world cares about, it's Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, and then... For some reason, Credit Suisse is also deciding to melt down right now at the Great. same time. So love it. Okay. Um, I did see a report saying that the uh, U.S. regulators are eyeing Friday bids for SVB and Signature Bank. So we may hear more about what's happening there. And that report also claims, like, no crypto. Like, the one, the one thing, the one rule, if you buy Signature Bank, is no crypto. Yes. And, so yeah. that means Binance will not buy it. Um, but it does leave open a very interesting thing because the three of us work for the reconstituted Yahoo, which is owned by a collection of private equity funds under the umbrella of Apollo. Um, and I heard that Apollo we saw, kind of we, in the, yeah. yeah. We saw. So there is a, there is a so world in which to, to be clear, we Apollo, <laughs> there, there was a story that the private equity firm that owns all of us is also looking at buying up SVB. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Sure. So our big parent company. So disclaimer. <laughs> Okay, uh, while we're here, let's get in some trouble. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Have you guys ever heard from Apollo? Because to me, they're like a ghost. <laughs> I don't think we directly. No comment. No comment. What? I, I, I don't know. We, we I, I don't hear a person. Who is this person? How did they get on my podcast? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I like I, I know yeah, I know yeah. Yahoo exists. Yahoo, but like, exists. Who Yahoo owns, definitely. Like, exists. If you try to figure out which funds mm -hmm. own our parent company, I mean, good luck. I went through the filings. I had no idea. That's true. It's true. I know I've talked to Yahoo people. I've never talked to Apollo people, but you know what? We we are just a, a couple years away from talking about our ties to Verizon too, and right. it's all it's always Every one thing. Time, it's yeah. one thing. It get we can never be totally free. I joined um, TC in the AOL days, same. and then I left same. after we got sold by Verizon. No, just sold to Verizon, and then I came back and we were Verizon, and then I now we're. What you know? What I want? 
I want media to suddenly become rich again, so that way we can all just you know. Yeah. Do you think that's gonna happen? Just rich families. Rich families will save us all. That that worked out well for the old publications back in the day. Sherlyn, do you have any questions about this stuff while we've got Alex? No, I mean, I just, I just, everything that's happened, I agree, especially with what y'all said about the people who were complaining about uh, bailouts before and then now are begging for one. I mean, like, I just think that that's so rich. And um, personally, like, I didn't hear about all of this until my chiropractor, who I've mentioned on the show before, on Tuesday, before the weekend stuff happened, was like asking me, so like, what's up with the Silicon Valley Bank stuff? He was like telling me that his friend worked there. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I don't think anything's happening. Everything seems chill on my end. And he's like, I heard all the banks are in crisis. I was like, I didn't know. And so like, apparently I knew about this before everything melted down. Uh-huh. And then I went and had a weekend and came back. Everything is on fire. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that community gif. So it's, it's great. Totally- Totally. Did you just it, say GIF? Yeah. yeah. I do listen, say GIF. Alex, this is GIF is the way it's pronounced. Constant problem. Graphical um, interchange format. Graphical format. No, this, is my, this is my favorite no. never ending. I battle. love it. I love yeah, it. Anything I else we'll you want to add, doing, yeah. Alex? And also, like, what are you what are you working on these days? Equity Pod, I know you guys are doing really well. I enjoy the show quite a bit. So oh, thank you so much. Everybody check out um, Equity Pod. Yeah, I mean, I work at TechCrunch. This is my second stint. I've been there for I'd be God, most of my adult life. Um I make the words on the screens. I sometimes I help other people do it. That's the gig. Um, mostly though, I'm just hanging out with my baby. Uh, that's my that's my new project. Yeah, so I'm just trying to learn how to how to dad and work. How to dad uh, and read while baby is napping. Basically, you could be productive while the baby is napping and no other time. Dude, yesterday. So the baby doesn't sleep anymore. She's just decided that she's over it. So yesterday, I just we just had like a multi-hour Taylor Swift sing along, just trying to put this dang baby to sleep. It's brutal. Just, just, just read her the regulatory reports about SVB. Ah. And she'll go no, right then to... I wouldn't have a spouse. Yeah. So yeah. you, you kind of balance. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I love y'all and I appreciate you bringing this to your audience. I know it's not the normal Engadget fair, but I think it really matters for the totally companies relevant. you do totally cover. Relevant. So yeah. everyone, uh, thank you for your patience with me and uh, you can now return to your regularly scheduled gadget programming. Where can we find you? Where can we find you on the internet? How about that? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter mostly. Uh, my name's Alex and my Twitter handle is Alex. So come hang out there. And, uh, you son of a gun! Yeah, you got, you got the, best the at one. Alex. There's a story behind that, but it's it's too long for this this riff. Uh, and also, I have a, a little personal Substack where I write about um, life and shit. So if you want to be bored about what I'm doing on the weekends, there's that too. Awesome, thank you, Alex. Oh my god, now I want to start my own Substack. Yeah, everybody. Do I mean, I've been wanting do to do it. It's Is fun. It good? It's fun. I don't have time to write outside of work. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. Like, I I love the idea. How how do you find the time to do that, Alex? Well, since Holy I shit. since I got back from parental leave, my volume has gone down precipitously. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I started a podcast during my parental leave, so you know we just can't yeah, help there you ourselves. Go. <laughs> that's anyway, aggressive. At this that's point, that's what I need to do. I need to have a child and no. then get that parental leave. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Hope to have you back on soon. Let's move on to some other news, and uh, you know what. There, there's a lot going on this week. But before we get to the AI stuff, uh, there was a story um, about like how much people are actually losing to online scammers and uh, to, to crypto as well. Um, the Wall Street Journal reports that Americans lost a record $10.3 billion to online scammers last year, uh, according to the FBI. Um, let me see. There was, there was a, the total losses to online scammers rose to $10.3 billion from $6.9 billion in 2021. Um more that that those losses doubled from more than a year ago and were the most uh, investment scam losses were the most common scheme reported. Cryptocurrency flaw, uh, fraud skyrocketed to 2.57 billion. So, hey, it seems like, um, you know, this, this entire system, the big money system is not really protecting normal people, as we were pointing out. Um, but the banks, I guess the banks will ultimately be fine, or at least the people who have a ton of money at those banks will be fine. Sherlyn, any thoughts on this? I mean, it's it's like the age-old story, right? Like, as long as people have money, they're going to be scammers. It's just every, you know, now the trend is the scammers are using NFTs or crypto to cheat people. Just I wish stay vigilant. The actual thing, like the, the thing about this whole industry is that even the legit NFTs feel like scams. Like, it, it scams all the way down. So, yes, of course, scammers will be able to, like, go in and, like, give you illegitimate crypto or get your money some other way. But it's because the actual core thing is kind of a scam to to many people. So, anyway, let's move on to some AI news, which is not a scam, but will probably yeah. take over the world and uh, destroy our jobs. So and there- slightly more... 
uplifting news actually in some of it. I mean, so this week we had a lot of news from Google to start. I mean, there's been a lot of AI news across the industry, but Google had a couple of events this week. One was the Google Health uh, uh, oriented event called The Checkup. Um, and then there wasn't really an event for this, but Google also uh, shared a lot of updates around AI coming into a lot of its workspace uh, products. So workspace products include things like Gmail, Docs, Sheets, Slides, Meet, and Chat. Uh, and basically, it's ba- it's going to add uh, AI, generative AI support to all of those things. So like in Gmail and I think in Docs and like maybe even Meet and um, other other text document stuff, you've already got like some AI and smarts, right? I think we're used to seeing the auto-suggested replies yeah. and the like. And that's not really, right, but th- this is where we have to remind ourselves, it's not really AI, it's it's better it's, autocomplete. So, yeah. I mean, if you, if, if we were like really nip, like talking about the definition of the word AI here too, like we could say that that's already been existing. Like AI sure. has been you already in this been, because the yeah. autocomplete is using some sort of intelligence to do yeah, it. If anything Maybe touched not, by an algorithm is AI, then everything is Exactly. AI. Mm. There's a lot. And it's like, it's hard to like, we could go down a rabbit hole discussing the definition of AI. But anyway, so, so this is like a slightly more sophisticated uh, version of that. So in the future, or by the end of this month, uh, in the US and in English, uh, users will be able to draft, reply, summarize, and prioritize emails in Gmail. You can also brainstorm, proofread, write, and rewrite text documents. But what I think is most interesting is you can auto-generate images and video in slides. Uh, Sheets can create formulas autonomously uh, meet which was already available uh, which was already able to transcribe notes automatically um, is, is going to be able to do that uh, and then in chat which I guess people use I don't know <laughs> but chat can enable workflows for getting things done I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean I think I don't see it in action but I feel like it's something where like similar to what uh, Microsoft was starting to do in Teams you can like have to-do lists within your chat page and that sort of stuff. That's what I'm imagining. Sure. Um, it, it can we'll be all see. sorts of things. The more we hear about this stuff and generative AI going into things, mm-hmm. the more I'm reminded that Clippy was too early. Mm, yeah. It's really, this is the Clippy dream of Clippy. Of time. Clippy was ahead yeah. of its time. And he just, he did not have Gone the AI soon. smarts to do all this stuff. But it is funny yeah. that the thing everyone is basically salivating over now is super Clippy. <laughs> It's super clippy. Yeah. Yeah. So like a little bit more color, like detail on what uh, the updated workspace AI stuff uh, is going to be able to do. Uh, For docs, if you're going to like just type the subject of your assignment onto the page, uh, Google's generative AI can just quickly make up some additional text. So like, (laughs) right. So like Uh biological functions of like the nervous system or whatever. And then like you'll get like a suggested paragraph from from docs, right? Listen, the Uh, worst thing you, you can have in any document is a blank page. Yeah. Because that kind of does right. stop your brain a little bit. It's a block, so, yeah. 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 Anytime I write, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't I like put to words like start down. I just put like brainstorm words down. Yeah. I just do bullet points. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of bullet points, like if, uh, you know, if you've written a draft or something or, or if you've written some bullet points, you can also use the new rewrite function to kind of uh, have the AI rework and maybe hopefully improve <laughs> what you've written down. And then... Uh, apparently they're going to add the I'm feeling lucky option to Gmail. <laughs> yeah, to, to your reply is just like, well, I don't, sure. yeah, like, 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 let's Russian roulette the replies. <laughs> it sounds like fun, but not, probably not very professional. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so that's some of the changes coming to Google's uh, workspace. More interesting, I think, is uh, the health-related updates that are coming um, from Google. Uh, first of all, I think the most straightforward things are that Google has used Duplex, which is the the AI calling bot that it used to um, help people make reservations at restaurants. Um, it's been using that du- during the pandemic, right? To kind of like call a lot of restaurants to ask for their updated hours, what their updated like practices and policies are. It's now used Duplex to actually call hundreds of thousands of US healthcare providers to verify their information and to see if those providers accept different uh, various state Medicaid plans. So with all of that calling and research that Duplex has done, uh, Google is going to make it easier to find some enrollment and re-enrollment information uh, for Medicaid in search. Mm -hmm. So that's straightforward enough. Uh, Google, I think what's more interesting is that Google's using its AI 
to enable people and other, you know, healthcare providers to use the basic ultrasound devices that are not like super expensive. Um, uh, use that to do certain things like identifying data that could help the early detection of breast cancer. Um, it could also use the ultrasound devices to do like better gestational age guessing, I think, in expectant mothers. So it's teamed up with uh, a nonprofit in Kenya called Jacaranda Health to research some AI-based ultrasound treatments for mothers and babies in government hospitals. Um, so it's, I mean, I think that's fascinating. I sat through the um, briefing for this. It's really, it's really cool. It's also uh, teaming up with Changkong Memorial Hospital in Taiwan to research how AI can detect breast cancer via ultrasound as an alternative to mammograms, uh, which first of all, there there's limited availability to mammograms in mm -hmm. regions that you just don't, don't do it until you're older too, facilities. right? So it's, it's a whole exactly. process, yeah. Right. This is cool. And mm -hmm. mammograms also are apparently less effective in populations with higher breast density. So if like, you know, I mean, I've not done a mammogram. I'm just not that age yet. I've done the like doctor check ones. And even those feel like a little too guessy. <laughs> it's like, was that a lump or was that just like fiber? <laughs> like, I remember reading like over a decade ago, either in Wired or somewhere else, like that, that the one of the potential for uh, AI, maybe it was through uh, IBM Watson was to sort of like have this idea of big data sets and being able to look at this stuff, yes. like look at a scan of something yes. and like give you ideas. So yes. hey, maybe maybe we'll actually yes. get there. IBM Watson certainly did not get there, even though they spent no. billions of dollars on that. No, but I am interested. I, I am curious to see how all these like big tech efforts uh, in terms of like teaming up with or focusing on healthcare, like Google's doing here or with Amazon buying one medical. I don't know what that's going to do. Uh, at least with Google, it seems more like research based using AI to do like some to find some things that could actually help people with early detection. And I, stuff I like hope that. so. I hope Google does not give up on this in six months as they tend to do. I will see. So we'll see. We really products. don't. Man. I know. We what's really up, don't what's know. Up, what's up with Fitbit too? Yeah. So, so the good news, and this got me excited when I saw it, the good news is Fitbit, as part of this, you know, set of Google Health related news, announced that it's finally taking or getting rid of that Fitbit premium subscription for your like own health stats. Only, okay, but it's like, there's a lot of caveats here. So in the past, I've complained about this before a lot. If you use the Pixel Watch, you buy the Pixel Watch or like a Fitbit Lux or whatever, you'll get like six months free Fitbit premium, which will give you all access to all of your data, right? Once that trial, six month trial is over, you'll lose access to your breathing rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability data. You can only see your daily information. You can't see past like that day you, for like things like the seven day trends of your breath rate or like your resting heart rate. You need to pay the $9, like $10 a month to see your own freaking data. I was so pissed. I There was a whole video where I was so angry. You can still see <laughs> it. Because of that, um, because you yelled at them, Google got Dude, scared. no, no. I, I literally like, walked yeah. up to them at events and been like, oh, yeah. what the hell is going on I here? remember this. I'd be I like, remember. why is this? Yeah. Yeah, I've I, so over multiple times. So m most recently, last week, I was at another Google event where I was like, y'all need to, what is going on what here? Why doing? am I paying? Listen, I appreciate yeah. that, Shirlene. I, I also miss the days of walking up to companies and just giving them shit for their, for yeah, their no, products. Yeah. I love giving decisions. them shit. It's exactly. Awesome. Oh, they know. Oh, they know. And then like, they couldn't say anything last week to me. So anyway, this week, in fact, uh, along with, along with the other Google health information, Fitbit said, now you don't have to like, now that stuff is coming out of paywall. So you want, if you want to see your 30 day up to 90 day trends for your breathing rate, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, you will get, be able to see it, um, without having to pay the $10 a month and more to me, more, um, more useful or at least one of the better features that they're taking out of Fitbit Premium and making available to all users without a fee is sleep stages, which again, I yelled very loudly about this on the video where I was like, y'all, you, yes, it's your industry leading with your like cardio based, uh, sleep stage detection feature, right? Yes. It is like something that, you know, you, you started and the industry has followed and Apple at the time hadn't done it yet, but dude, Samsung's been doing it for years. Apple added it with watchOS 9 and they're both offering it for free. They were like, no they excuse. had the audacity to hide it behind that 10. Anyway, calm down, calm down again, uh, because they have now reversed that and they've taken sleep stages out of premium. You will now be able to see your own sleep stages. Uh, and then the other stuff that's paywall behind premium is like Fitbit is a sleep profile. So like if you want like, oh, based on your 12 weeks of activity, we think you're a giraffe style of sleep, you know, like that sort of thing. 
all right, fine, take that. Then like sleep guidance, like, oh, how to improve your sleep. Um, that sort of info is under premium. So I guess they still have to keep some stuff under premium, which... I guess it makes sure. sense, like, because Fitbit has been around for a while, too, like, much longer than Samsung or Apple has had health stuff, and yeah. they've been charging premium stuff for a while, even pre-Google. So yes, you yeah, were paying Fitbit them. before. It is very hard for a company to be like, well, I like money, and if I make this thing free, I have less money, so why it's, would I do this, you know? It's, it's, it's very interesting for me to see you be the devil's no, no, advocate no. I'm, for I'm, the company. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving around. you their thinking. I think it is garbage because, yeah, every, it's free. It's 10 years after, you know, we all got used to what Fitbits were. You know, like health trackers aren't new. Uh, this stuff should be free. You're Google. Make yeah. it happen. Yeah. You know? So, I, again, I think this is a positive development. I think it's nice to see Fitbit listen mm-hmm. to me, but also <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think this has a lot to do with Google buying it uh, or taking over some of it. Um, it that really, again, doesn't make sense if you look at the Pixel Watch in comparison to things like the Apple Watch and Samsung's Galaxy Watches and such features mm-hmm. having been paywalled. Have um, you seen a and, Pixel Watch yeah. in the wild, not from a tech journalist, like from a normal human being? On a Maybe human like being. someone at my gym one time <laughs> okay. who herself was like using a Pixel phone okay. already and was like telling me about how they like the Pixel Watch, but then I didn't, I don't know if they, I saw them actually wearing okay. it, so I'm not sure. Okay. It, it's one of those things. It's a pretty watch, but man, I feel like Google's just so late to this. What took them so long? Anyway, anyway, we've, we've still got a bunch of stuff. We've got more AI news too, because I, I mm-hmm. want to open with the Google stuff because uh, it does feel like Google is coming from behind a little bit because they totally blew the barred AI debut. And then even though, uh, Bing has its own issues too. Like it, the the story, the mentality has been that Google has been behind uh, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, there is still more stuff happening. OpenAI announced GPT four yesterday, three months after we learned about GPT three point five. Like after Chat GPT, like this one is slightly better. It's slightly more efficient. Um, it can understand both text and image inputs. So I saw a really good example on their. Um, on their blog post announcing this, there was like three pictures showing like an old style VGA cable being plugged into an iPhone and then somebody like pulling it out, showing you that, oh, actually it's a USB-C cable. And then the question to chat to GPT-4 was, so what is funny about this, right? And GPT-4 was able to be like, well, this is an iPhone with a VGA cable attached to it, yada, yada, yada. The humor is using an old style cable to attach a modern device. And that is, that's pretty good. Okay. Just from seeing the image, like not from any text around it, just like interpreting that image, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I think I, mm-hmm. c- I could think of the p- potential applications for this too, right? Like where you're like trying to identify a play. I mean, p- Lens does this, Google Lens does this, Apple's like camera also does this, where you like point your camera at something and it'll identify it for you. But like, it feels like OpenAI's GPT style is just a lot smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can search for more context. So, for sure. Wow. There were, so go check out the, the OpenAI blog post about this. But basically, they showed off like how the GPT 4 is better at like the LSAT, it's better at major tests. Um, benchmarks in general make it uh, seem like a much better chatbot. Of course, the thing we have to point out here is that tests, oh my God, you mean this thing that learned like the entirety of human knowledge is able to pass this test, which depends on just knowing things and memorizing things like we we already know tests aren't the best way to test like actual students and to test like aptitude around things so it is funny that we'll be like yeah 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 we gave this thing all this data and it just used that data yeah yes yeah yeah uh-huh no when you said when you said like benchmarks i was like what is a benchmark for a chatbot they're all uh, so the blog post like has uh, things i do not understand but the numbers look better for GPT-4 compared to GPT-3.5, they say it hallucinates at a lower uh, <laughs> hallucinates at a lower rate and does so around 40% less of the time. Um, yeah. Uh, the, we also saw the news uh, Microsoft admitted um, or announced that Bing, the Bing AI, Confirmed it. actually yeah. runs on GPT-4. So if you're in that Bing beta, you're basically testing GPT-4 right now. I've been like throwing it some questions. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good. It's going to be yeah, really interesting exactly. to see, yeah, how this stuff is uh, is spreading around. I my main worry is that uh, we also saw the news that Microsoft laid off its team responsible for ethical AI development, 
And it just feels really weird that we are just like barreling ahead. We're like turning the, the speed dial up on AI stuff. And anybody like who is getting in the way or slowing down these companies seems like they're being thrown by the wayside. So Let, Google I mean, did this. Microsoft is doing this. Yeah. I mean, let's contextualize it yeah. slightly. So like that, it's not that it's like gotten rid of completely all kinds of like responsible AI department because they are, it is still keeping its office of responsible what was it, AI, right? But like the fact that it's laid off so many people that were involved in ethical AI development is not a good I, I don't sign. know how you define the department. Like is one person being there still the department? Because the story we've been seeing um, from Yahoo Finance is that Microsoft has laid off, um, well, reportedly, but laid off the entire team responsible for ethical and sustainable outcome for AI development. Maybe they right, have my, another AI, like ethics division. Right. Yeah. Right. My understanding is that like that was a part of the office of responsible or ethics, like that sort of stuff, because the thing is, I find that hard to believe. I guess the reason I find it so hard to like align with what I saw is that at the Bing AI event, there was a whole section devoted to responsible AI development. And there was a whole separate panel talking about ethics. So it's either you talked big about how important this was to you and then you laid people off or there's something I'm not understanding about the structure of your like, is it becoming... You know, but the fact that people were laid off, I think you, I mean, again, reportedly, right? Like if people were laid off, then that means you're dropping resources on this thing you said was important to you. So it's, it, is, uh, it is curious. Yeah, it seems like they were part of the the 10,000 employees being laid off by Microsoft that we talked about earlier. Um, yeah, I, I, we need to see numbers. We need to see more, more news about this. Microsoft needs to explain. This is all yeah. developing. Um, and yeah, we will be talking with them, hopefully. Um this sort of thing is just like it, it is worrying because we 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 have we see Bing being spread all over Windows 11. Um, there's a story about you can now enhance your LinkedIn profile. Don't forget Microsoft owns LinkedIn with exactly. AI written suggestions. Okay, it's also testing AI written job descriptions, which could probably help a bunch of people's LinkedIn profiles. True. Um, yeah. But you know, and then at that point, are, is your LinkedIn? profile still going to be useful like is it how do we look at resumes from now on if everything's going to be written by ai i don't know we'll see. i mean listen if you write a resume now for a lot of big companies it's an ai like it's a bot looking at your resume and scanning it for keywords related to that so thing. the ai yeah. just talking to each other right yeah, I, the, the ai, AI the resume and the other. ai is reading the, yeah at this point so anyway speaking of layoffs um mark zuckerberg announced the year of efficiency for Meta, as the company is laying off an additional 10,000 workers. Oh, my God. So we we have already talked about Meta layoffs. This is another round of another 10,000 workers. Um, yeah, it turns out Mark Zuckerberg, um, in November, we talked about them laying off more than 11,000 people. It seems like the the bet, big bet on Meta and the Metaverse probably is not paying off for us so well for Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Year of efficiency just tells me this is a year of tightening our belt. Except and, his belt, probably. Yeah. So everyone's going big on AI now. It feels like last year, Meta Meta was the only one being like, Metaverse! We're so excited about the Metaverse. It's all us. And I, yeah, I've yet to see anything actually good within the Metaverse they're talking about. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, we'll see. I mean, Meta, what, they also said it was killing support of NFTs on Facebook and Instagram, which, LOL. Uh, the other, duh, the like, other I big fail. Told you. Yeah, the other big fail of tech recently. But, I mean, this is this is efficiency. If you want to kill something, <laughs> like, kill this one. You know what I mean? Like, this was really not useful, at least to me and I think to a vast majority of the audience uh, or, of the population. So it, it is funny, like, how much of the VC audience, too, we were, we were talking about earlier we're all big on NFTs and Web3. Oh, my God. All the .eth, all the .eth usernames. Yeah. And, mm, yeah. How many of no those concern books? for the environment. No concern for, like, just all the impact that it would have. Ooh. Because it didn't. It's just they saw the money. They saw the dollar signs. That was it. Speculative markets, people. Uh, yeah. Where there's money, uh, people will find a way to be there. Let's talk about a few things that are maybe less rage-inducing, Sherlyn. How about how about a nice, pleasant phone? How about a Galaxy? Well, how A54? about a nice, yeah? How yeah. about a nice mid-range phone that won't cost you a whole month's rent? Right? Isn't that nice? I feel my anxiety uh, levels diminishing right now, going lower. Immediately, lower. Yeah, yeah. The Galaxy A fifty-four. It is a four hundred and fifty-dollar phone. It follows up the Galaxy A fifty-three from last year, um, and it'll be available. I don't think in the U.S. just yet. 
uh, oh wait, actually it will be available in the US for also $450. So um, some of the bigger changes come around the display. It is now slightly smaller, uh, 6.4 inches than last year's 6.5, which I like that. Um, the maximum brightness now goes up to a thousand nits. So making it easier to see in sunlight. Uh, very far off still from the 1750 nits we saw on the Galaxy S. And you will, you will probably never ever use that full brightness. So like even in direct yeah. sunlight, a thousand nits. Is yeah, you're not... Right, exactly. That 1750 is not in indoor use for sure. That's like outdoor max boost. Um, it also, the screen also goes up to 120 hertz. So this is like a mid-range phone that gives you nice uh, refresh rates, which is uh, nice to know. But here's the thing. The A54 is going to use the uh, Exynos 1380. It's a five nanometer octa-core processor. It's the, it's the company's latest um, Exynos chip. Uh, and the company is saying it should offer 20% 20 better performance on CPU, task, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, sure. Like, I, don't, I mean, not a big fan of Exynos chips and phones. You know what I mean? But Mid-range, man. We'll yeah. see. It is a mid-range. It's probably it's part of what keeps the phone a little cheaper. Um, and then we've got, you know, a triple camera system with a 50 megapixel main camera, uh, 12 megapixel ultra wide and 5 megapixel macro. It's, it's kind of so, amazing. Like five years ago, we'd look at this phone and be like, oh, my God, this is next level. Look at that. Look at that little dot camera at the top. Look at this edge to edge mm -hmm. display. So it's very nice for this price. Um, our reporting, we also cover the Galaxy A34, which is not coming to the U.S., but also looks pretty good. It has a little notch. Yeah, like, and it's a bit cheaper, cheap. too. Love cheap, like, love che I love cheaper phones that are actually good, yes. like, that have good Probably lasts you about as long as your flagship phone, too, so there you go. Oh, speaking of, speaking of phone, cheap phones or mid-range phones, hey, the, the industry-leading mid-range or, or, you know, phone at least on the Android side of things, usually is the Pixel A series, right? So like people actually are surprisingly excited for A series Pixels. Uh, I think it's funny. And they're excited enough that there are leaks for the upcoming <laughs> Pixel 7a. Like back in the uh, day, we got phone yeah. leaks. Apparently, like, apparently there's enough hype for the Pixel 7a for there to be leaks. So anyway, apparently the um, a Vietnamese website uh, says it, it's called Zing News and it's got like, Photos of a prototype of the Pixel 7a that apparently some programmers uh, were using. Uh, it's a test device. How for can you even people. tell this is a new A series Pixel? So if you, it looks yeah. exactly if you look at the pictures, the it looks just like the Pixel 7. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just think it's quite funny that <laughs> this, these people were just like, yeah, we're going to leak this. We don't care. We got a phone and we're going to like. Share the pictures because anyway, after the pictures were released, Google apparently or reportedly locked the phone remotely. But uh, <laughs> the the person who had the phone still was able to make sure to, to like find out it was running Android thirteen. It had a Good job. ninety hertz screen option. Good job, other uh, person. Eight gigs of RAM. Yeah, there was also another leak: the Pixel Eight Pro, which again I saw this image and I was like, "Does Google is there like a good designer working at Google? Because what the hell, this phone looks like but." They, 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 they actually like the look. I, I, I can't tell you. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't like it. When the, when <laughs> I think, I'm sorry. I tripped over myself so much to mm -hmm. say it, but I, I don't like it. It looks I'm like B-U-T-T. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like the same like bar, rear bar design with the, the cameras on the back. And it just, there's just, was it the Pixel 6 or the Pixel 5 that introduced that design? It, it seemed like it had a bit of a personality. So, you know, that's. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. So, so the six had a like a straight bar that was like not metal, uh, or at least not silver metal. And then the seven brought the like very cyclops looking bar, where the bar itself was like had a metallic finish, but then the cameras were like housed in this kind of rounded rectangle. So it looked like some like an eye or like a triple eye. I don't know. Yeah, and then so the like base of these pictures, nobody wants to be cyclops. He's boring. Yeah. These pictures look like more of the same, except the cameras seem like they stretch across more of the bar and just look bigger and more, I, I don't more obvious. Not 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 great. I don't I don't I'm not liking what I see. Unfortunately. So this is just it's a render picture. There are a couple other pictures with it. It, it looks fine, but it does make me sad to see like Google not even try. Like maybe when we get it in our hands and do some hands-on, it'll look more interesting. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're not trying. I, I think they actually think this is nice. Yeah. This is my problem with so, Google. Well, let's talk about something that Google, actually, I love you, but, yeah. but this is not my, my cup of tea. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. 
something we did see um sony made a 600 dollars point-and-shoot camera for the visually yes. impaired this looks really cool and i love this idea i'm very interested in this uh and i'm you know i'm glad we you know decided to bring it up um it has a viewfinder this is the dsc hx 99 rnv it has a viewfinder that can project images directly onto a person's retina that's super cool so uh -huh. it is interesting i think it's not for people who are you know blind blind this is for people who have low vision or visual impairments and that's nice right like if you think about a point and shoot camera the viewfinder is not something that like people with low vision can easily use it's not something that like you know if you have like very thick glasses you need to wear it's not necessarily easy to do so this might be helpful um i haven't seen it used it, it at looks, all so uh, to describe it it looks like a yeah. sony point and shoot but it has like a big um you know a big arm holder like a big holder on the side and a the grip. actual yeah the actual the yeah it has a big grip and the viewfinder is the reticia neo viewer and it just looks like a big a big circle you're putting up right up to your eye so it's cool yeah unique yeah it's very interesting to see and i i love for more companies to think about this and this is really actually a, a part of a small like and growing trend i think out of sony because what sony announced the adaptive controller for playstation what was it like last year yeah oh at ces oh, a couple this months year? ago yeah at ces yeah and then now it's talking about this it seems to be like paying more attention to how it can improve accessibility of its products which is very encouraging to see and, and sony makes a lot of products that people use so. people can also use this camera to see faces read signs and capture you know photos and videos but to actually using it even if you're not taking or shooting footage just to see more clearly is uh is kind of cool this is the first use of laser retinal projection technology so it's very exciting. And 600 bucks yeah. is not Let's much for a specialized thing like this. Yeah. Um, I would love, yeah. Hopefully we can find somebody who can help us review this and test this because I think it's a really cool device. We'd love to see more like this. Um, anything else you want to mention about this camera, Sherlyn? No, just want to get it into like see and have a friend or, or someone I know that might be visually impaired try it out. Yep. Super cool. We've got a couple other quick yes. news bites. You may have seen the news yes. that uh, T-Mobile is buying Ryan Reynolds Mint Mobile oh God. for up to $1.35 billion. Dollars. Um, what's funny is that my parents uh, moved over to Mint Mobile to get away from T-Mobile. And now ah! it's like T-Mobile's just like, no, no, Sorry. you're back. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is. Is this one of those? I don't think Mint Mobile is big enough for this to be like where the, the we need no. a, regu a regulatory approval, right? No, yeah. it's it's very small. Mint is very small, but the Ryan Reynolds ads have been everywhere. It has been a yeah, big yeah, deal yeah. that you know. I remember when he started uh, talking about this company, we we're like, "Why is Reynolds doing? Why is Ryan Reynolds doing this?" It's because eventually somebody would would pay him a lot of Buy money it. for yep. it. So um, this could potentially make Ryan Reynolds, together with the sale of his uh, gin company, is that mm, Aviation mm -hmm. Gin? Aviation Gin. Um, yep. Ryan Reynolds is probably going to be a billionaire after these yeah. after these sales. Like, no, he Smart. doesn't need to be Deadpool anymore. He could but just here's like, the thing, right? Money, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: he was never like all that involved in Mint Mobile. Right, I think right. he did the marketing for it, right? But he, he did co smart. like he he had a big stake in it. As I recall, big stake. Yeah. That's for sure. I don't know like how involved he was. I think I don't know how involved he was in making like some of the basic plans free or some of the other perks that the, the company was doing. Ryan right? Reynolds here for Aviation sales Gen and features and everything. Yeah, right. Here's no, but here's where I think the genius of it is. I think the genius of all these Ryan Reynolds's businesses is the marketing. Like I think more than anything, he's a marketing guy and he knows it. And he takes like a business that he can see improving the value off just by pure yeah. good marketing through his like maximum productions channel. A lot of people have done that. that. Yeah. 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 A lot of celebrities yeah. have done that, but he has done it very successfully. So yeah, shout out to Ryan He's Reynolds. He's done it very well. Um, I do. I am getting annoyed when I see him in movies now because he kind of does one thing over and over again. One, the same thing. Um, yeah. It did not. There was a recent spy movie that was a lot of fun, and then he popped up, and I'm like, why? why? You could have had anybody else. But anyway, Bullet Train is fun. Good Bullet Train's a lot of fun. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, we've got other news. Uh, Amazon satellite internet antennas. Oh yeah. Are, oh yeah, look weird oh, yeah. because they they look like little tables, little tables. For they dolls. were so I, yeah. This was um this is for Amazon's uh what is it the Starlink alternative um project oh, Kuiper. yeah satellite Kuiper. internet mm -hmm. yeah sure and then and th th if you look at this, these things you're, they're supposed to be like antenna they really look like coffee tables for like dolls like 
It was weird. Uh, just go look at the picture on the on Engadget.com. They look like little baby tables. Um, yeah, you would put this on like a picnic table or something. And it has to be flat because these things are talking with low Earth satellites. Right. So right. The surface needs to be yeah. low Earth orbit satellites. Yeah. So, okay. That makes that makes sense. And uh, in similar space stuff, I would just want to shout out the uh, NASA Artemis uh, spacesuits were announced. And they look like anime spacesuits. And I love them. I love them so much. Um, this is just super, this is super fun. Like it, right now the color, like it, they have like small helmets, like pretty slim helmets, not like the old big, not as huge as they used to be. And the actual suit themselves look like uh, Macross, you know, uniforms or something. So I love it. I don't know if you have thoughts, style yes. thoughts, Roland. I mean, they look cool. That's it, really. The helmet includes. <laughs> Go take a look at the picture. Yeah, the helmet includes yeah. lights and HD camera. Uh, as astronauts enter the suit through a hatch in the back, uh, in the life support backpack. So that's. It just looks cool. It looks like we are one step closer to uh, what's the what's the Amazon show, The Expanse. Are you watching uh, The Expanse, Roland? Yes. Oh, oh no! Nope. I think you would love The Expanse if you want to. If you I know, want everyone's, something new to we, be, we've talked about this. With, yeah. yeah, I think it's totally yeah. up your alley. Anyway, we are getting closer to The Expanse, and hopefully, not the uh, crummy politics of The Expanse. Because, yeah, I, I guess that sh- that show and that book is so realistic because it turns out that is what we were already kind of building in our society. So, love it. Finally, there's there's a report uh, from Bloomberg Technology about Meta, Amazon, and other companies uh, calling workers back to the office in 2023. I just want to take a step back and be like, well. Yeah, I, I guess this makes sense. Sherlyn, do you have thoughts about this? Like, it does seem like companies are kind of, they want to push people back in. They are maybe less comfortable with remote work going forward. Like, they don't want to be the trend moving forward. I don't know if you have any personal thoughts about this. I mean, I, I think we've talked about this since we've been talking about hybrid work since the, since you know, the pandemic began. Pandemic yeah. was sort of, yeah. So this is not news to me, but it's like... Uh, what are we talking? Are we talking like mandatory five days a week? Are we talking mandatory three, you know? Yeah, so there's a whole bunch. So Amazon has told employees to return to offices three days a week starting May 1st. Meta announced plans to, um, let me see here. He's, uh, Meta is encouraging staff to come to work in person. Uh, Snap is is doing similar things. I, I know people at like movie studios and other tech companies too where they're, they've gotten letters from the CEOs being like, you got to be back to the office three four days a week and then when people be like why i'm i'm doing my job perfectly here i'm actually more productive because i'm not wasting time commuting in um nobody ever replies so yeah yeah. so i feel like we've had this conversation before and i've spoken to some friends who are in companies that are included in this list and they're like yeah but there's no real enforcement like i go to the office two days a week and it's supposed to be three and it's not like my manager's breathing down that's kind of it's good as long as there's no enforcement but it who knows how long that'll last and it's just yeah, like the I weird know, yeah. I, I feel like part of it is like a control thing right it's just like you have to do what we say because we're in charge right you are not in charge of your own life uh we own your life to, to a certain degree anyway let us know folks like what is your work from home relationship like if you're lucky enough to be able to work remotely um you know it's it's been a good thing like because things have gotten so relaxed you i was able to like move to another state and keep doing most of my job and honestly do other things I couldn't do in New York. Like I can drive cars and I could test cars and I couldn't easily do that in Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, it is weird and rough. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Uh, I am taking a look at Asus's Acer's uh, 3d gaming laptop. Um, it's using their spatial labs technology. I believe it's called um, 3d without glasses. That's kind of cool. I'm playing some games. I'm playing Forza horizon five. I'm playing God of war on it. It's very cool. It is limited to 1080p when you're actually in 3D mode because the display is 4K and it's limited to 60 hertz, which is not great for a gaming PC. Um, I have to say the 3D kind of hurts my eyes a little too. I feel like that'll be the death knell for this thing. Um, it's also very expensive. So I'm working on a review. I'll have deeper thoughts about it. This does not be like the laptop everybody should buy. I'd love to see this tech in action, like in other screens, uh, maybe in TVs. But the problem is because it's glasses free 3D, it is tracking your eyes. So it only supports one person at a time. One person sitting right in front of the screen. Not super useful. But anyway, check out my full review soon. Trillin, what are you working on? I am still working on the Halo Rise review, if only because we had some issues getting a unit for video and also kind of stepping in to help other people on the team that needed some help this week. So um, 
yeah, still working on that. In the background, I've been editing some other pieces. We have a lot of good stuff coming out, so that's nice. What else am I working on? Get more, most, more stuff that I can't talk about. Okay. You know, the story we, is, we're is always, always me. So. I feel like, yeah, yeah. we never have down, downtime, folks. So if, we can't, if we're not talking about it, it's because it's under embargo and there's a lot of news coming up. But yeah. And you'll just find out. You'll find out yeah, soon. soon. Stay tuned. You know what's up. <laughs> Let's move on to our pop culture picks. What you got this week, Sherlyn? All right, so got to talk about three things. Not all three of them are picks. It's just like stuff I've been watching. Um, starting with, saw the final episode of The Last of Us. Yay. Has everyone caught up? Yeah, Is I'm everyone not, all caught, caught up? up. Can um, we talk about it? No, not or fully for our audience, but yeah. No, definitely okay. not fully for our audience. But anyway, uh, last episode was great. I think it set the... Uh, set things up for a second season, which is nice. And uh, the acting was good. It was just, again, every single episode, everyone's been crying and heart-wrenching. Um, so that's, it really just makes you think about all these like questions of morality and like integrity and ethics and and also like what it means to be a human being trying to be good or whatever in in a way that's like different from the good place or Ted Lasso. So it's <laughs> very sense. different from Have Ted you, Lasso. You seen it. Very very different, but makes you want to be like makes you ask if you were in this situation, mm-hmm. what would you do, right? So I, I think, think that um, that's where it is. yeah, I've been um, thinking about this so, since the end of the game. It's it's basically the ending of the first I didn't game. Play the game. So yet, avoid avoid spoilers, exactly. folks. Like if you if you waited this long, I will say. Um, it hits different for parents than it does for, for other sure. people. Absolutely. And um, there's yeah. a lot of things I would do for all my the kids. dads I know. Yeah. All the yeah, dads that sure. I know yeah. who have seen this were like weeping. Yeah. <laughs> like weeping, but also series, not just I would do the same thing. Anyway, anything yeah. else you want to mention, Trillin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So second thing, I already just kind of shouted out Ted Lasso is back. I haven't seen it yet. The first episode, I am kind of waiting to be a few weeks. It's in, good. In, it's so good. Yeah, be... I've seen the first few. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. I am very excited, but I am also, it's bittersweet because it's going to be the last season and I'm just sad. I want them to wrap things up nicely. Give me like a, do it in the way the good place ended, which kind of like was very soothing. Now, third, um, these are three shows. The three shows I'm talking about this episode uh, are three shows that are like, live like they're happening weekly and you find new episodes uh this third one is probably the one that you will agree with the least (laughs) but i was introduced to married at first sight australia what by yeah by some of our team mates Uh and um it's incredible um it's it's i've i've talked about some trashy reality dating shows on this uh, podcast and this is sort of in the same vein um and it's you people who get paired up by uh three experts or a team of experts who are like relationship and dating therapists or counselors and um they've you know interview all these candidates and they're like okay we think we can find you someone who can help you and you can fall in love whatever and then all they do is they they show up at their wedding and they meet their partner there for the first time and then they go on this experiment to like see how to work through their issues as a couple it's very very flimsy of a premise do they actually take advantage of australia and the location of like okay you're going to the outback for your honeymoon will you survive together are you actually a couple well yeah these are Australians, yeah. so I think they 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 do the outback thing on their own time. They've come together to be in. I think this show is shot in Sydney, and so they all like live in Sydney in some like apartments in one apartment building, um, and they do do stuff like they go out for girls' nights or boys' night, like all as as constructed by the experiment and the and the counselors or whatever. Then they do like weekly um, uh, activities, weekly dinner parties. And every week at the end of like the week of planned activities by the show, they come to a a couch. Every couple is put on the couch and asked questions about their relationship and what problems they're going through and how they communicate. And you like through this process, I, I like this more than other dating shows because the therapists or the counselors or the experts, there's three of them and they really just you watch them kind of counsel couples. So it's like active, well, it's like passive couples therapy. Uh, <laughs> you're sitting there like, oh, and then you like notice other people's behaviors and you're like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. Kind of like other dating shows, but with the added component of these like TV experts, kind of like Dr. Phil, but like yeah. not as shitty. I mean, that's why um, I feel like so, a lot of us yeah. like reading self-help like questions to like, oh that, yeah. Like, love experts like Dr. But here, yeah, right. Came on but the, the yeah. good thing, Right, but the good thing about shows like this, and again, I said like MAFS, MEFS, Married at First Sight, is the 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 unique component of it is, is the experts weighing in, right? So like it's, but there's the fun of it, which is all trash. Reality dating TV shows do this. You got to watch people be shit. You get to yeah, watch yeah, people yeah. be like 
be it's awful. traumatic. Like just all the drama, the chaos, and then like the assholes. There's always it's a villain. And it's like, uh, when when are we? I know there was wasn't there the, the circle that like relied on an yeah, algorithm type thing. Perfect match. Perfect match. But we let's get GPT involved in this. Like, what? When are we oh, going to get the actual generative AI stuff? Like actually matchmaking people in in ways and like have the entire That's thing have the entire pitch. thing run by ai yeah. ai will write the scripts ai will come up with the yeah. scenarios um That's eventually ai could edit all the footage together like <laughs> I, I think this is it this is it like i can't wait to watch yeah i don't know if i can because then it's just like infinite content right like then you all the people all the workers sario live stream producer julio all the people involved with the technical aspects of this production yeah, will be all replaced all the hosts everything all replaced by ai <laughs> Don't you love it? <laughs> Bye to all of us. Bye yes. to but all. But anyway, of us. that that I've been enjoying that, and I, I mean, in America, we can't really watch. You can watch it through VPN if you want to. Um, so uh, the um, the American version of Married at First Sight is not nearly as good as from <laughs> what I hear. Um, and also now I speak in an Australian accent uh, in my okay. head, so that's great. Um, One know. of the best accents. I do love a good Australian. I've turned I Siri yeah, into yeah Australian accents like ever since Siri yeah. could change voices. So. Great, great, Sherlyn. Uh, I want to talk about two things real quick. Uh, shouting out to History of the World Part 2. I cannot oh, yeah. believe there's an actual sequel to History of the World Part 1. Like, the joke of that movie was always that this is not a series. We're, we're just right. going to call it Part 1. But Mel Brooks is back, and he's brought a bunch of uh, great, great people, including Nick Kroll, Wanda Sykes, and Ike Barinholtz, to do kind of that whole thing again. Uh, different different segments, different like comedy beats, uh, revisiting history, uh, just in fun ways. And there's a lot of great guest stars here. JB Smoove is here. Um, they do the story of Judas and Jesus as Curb Your Enthusiasm with Nick Kroll and JB Smoove, and it's just and JB Smoove is in Curb, so it's just like. It's just like you're watching that show again, and it's hilarious. I think it's really good. Um, like any like any one of these things where it's like different sketches, not everything quite works. But I think a lot of the stuff that is there is uh, is pretty good. Uh, Ronnie Cheng is Kublai Khan. Really, oh, that's awesome. Really funny. Um, there was one with um, what's his face, Indian com- comedian uh, Kumail. There's a Kumail one where uh, Johnny, yeah, nice. Where he it it's just like. The first revision of the Kama Sutra, where it was the Kama Supra, and he paired positions with soup. <laughs> and that's the joke. Oh, wow. That is, it's so silly and dumb, but you know what? It is so dumb. Like, by the time they repeat it, like, they go into it for five minutes, you're like, yeah, this is hilarious. It's really good. So anyway, History of the World Part 2, I think it's really good, really funny. And one thing I'd want to maybe recommend to you, Sherlyn, because it turns out we were talking, you're not a big fan of the Scream franchise. I don't know if you've seen, like... You saw like four, right? No, I saw that. Yeah, the re, the re, the re, or last the one that they recently one. did. That was the last year. That was yeah, Scream exactly. Five. So Scream Six is out. Um, I've got thoughts. I, I think it is a fun movie, but it's also like a weird. It's it's it kind of fails to live up to the Scream formula too. Um, I have a full review over at the Filmcast. You could go hear me rant about it there. But I also think the series is fun and it is a good watch. And I just want to recommend it to you, Sherlyn. Like the first Scream is is a freaking masterpiece like i think it's one of the best horror movies ever made i know you like supernatural stuff more it gets a little a little weird and a little like almost spiritually by scream 3 but it's the fun of it yeah watching this movie reminds me that scream is so weird because it's a murder mystery it's not just horror it's not just a a slasher movie it is who's the killer how how is this being done how is it all wrapped together there is something fun about it and I think that is a lot of that. It's just fun to watch. That reminds me of the movie Urban Legends. Yeah. Have you seen that yeah. one? I actually yeah, yeah. So Urban I liked Legends. Urban Legends a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> that was of I the know. era where I believe everybody was just trying to do Scream. You know, like I know what you yeah. did last summer. Yeah. Like that was that whole yes, wave exactly. of like, well, Scream is good, so we're gonna have a whole bunch of these too. Um. Anyway, Scream Six. Um. I had fun with it, but it's kind of a mess. But also, watch Scream. You'd really enjoy the series. Well, that's it for the episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter, at Davindra at Mastodon.social, and also at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. If you want to send me your favorite villains from Married at First Sight Australia, I am at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes, and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts.
That's what I need to do. I need to have a child and no. then get that parental leave. 